welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Warm welcome to our latest episode of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, uh, the podcast that talks about elements of a healthy church. Uh, the clue is in the name. And today I've got an esteemed guest with me, friend and colleague Thomas Davis. Thomas is minister in the Island of Lewis in Carloway, and um, he he also runs his own his own podcast along with Andy Longway. So Healthy Gospel Church podcast is like the Radio 4 of podcasts and Jesus Today is like the Radio 1 podcast. <laughs> so Thomas, welcome to Radio 4. <laughs> well, I think that's the only time in my life I have been compared to Radio 1. So thank you very much, David. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you and Andy kind of have, have the rock theme. You know, he was a DJ. You were an, an aspiring rock artist at one time in your that's career, true, were you actually, not? Yeah. <laughs> that is true, that is true. <laughs> Great. Well, folks, uh, today's subject is one which I initially you probably will think, what on earth are they going to say about that or how will I find it interesting? It's uh, about training. Um, Thomas, training, is it important? Um, tell me, tell me. Well, I think the good question to ask that is is to compare it to other other spheres in life. So if if you're lying on an operating table uh, about to have uh, your appendix removed and you ask the question, training, is it important? I think you would say absolutely, um, because you want to be sure that every single person standing around you uh, knows what they're doing. And the only way that they can know what they're doing is if they've been well trained. And that, of course, applies you know to every sphere of life, whether it's uh, whether it's the pilot taking you on holiday as they fly the plane, uh, or whether it's the person cooking your food in a restaurant uh, and doing that in a way that's hygienic and healthy, uh, they have to be trained in order to do that. And you know, if that applies to every other uh, part of uh, every other job, every other part of life, um, it definitely applies to ministry um, when we're dealing with with matters of uh, not just earthly importance but of eternal uh, eternal value as well. Okay, that, that's a great answer. Now, we are from a free church of Scotland perspective, but our, our listeners are from lots of different denominations. Um, but it is kind of true across the denominations that there's a kind of new methodology of training ministers more um, in church training, more local church based. Can you give us a little outline about this new method? How does it differ from the old? Yeah, so um, we have... Uh changed part of how we train our ministers in recent years. Uh, our traditional uh, model for training that you went through and that I went through uh, was uh, a full-time theological degree. And for us in the Free Church, that would, would always have been at what was called the Free Church College, now called Edinburgh Theological Seminary. And we would go and we would spend three years uh, full-time students uh, studying theology. And what we've what we've done uh, over recent years is is kept that but we've tried to add to it. And what we've sought to do is, uh, rather than, than have uh, people studying full-time uh, over three years, we've expanded that, we've spread that course out. Uh, so it's now a minimum of four years, sometimes five, sometimes six. And alongside that, 
theological education at a seminary, uh, we place our candidates for ministry in what we call training churches, uh, which is a local church where they have uh, a role and a responsibility, uh, and it gives them a chance to experience different aspects of uh, of ministry uh, on the ground. And in many ways, you know, um, a lot of people who speak about this will, will draw comparisons with how a doctor learns or how a teacher learns, where you spend time in the classroom, uh, you know, time in the lecture theatre where you're where you're being taught um, the theory in many ways, and then time on placement in the classroom in the hospital ward, where you're able to put that into practice and observe others working. So we're moving, we've moved towards that model. And so it's now a partnership training model is, is the term that we tend to use, partnership training, whereby a seminary and a local church are partnering together to try and equip people uh, for ministry. Okay, no, I, I know a bit about your own story, and, and I know that personally you you left school and you, you served an old school apprenticeship as an engineer, uh, and then, you, you know, you went into ministry, you did mm-hmm. undergrad and then postgrad. Um, what... What did you think about your, your apprenticeship model and, and can these kind of values um, be applied to ministry? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as you say, I, I, I did an old school engineering apprenticeship where I just served alongside a couple of very experienced engineers. And that was really, that was helpful in, in, in lots of ways. I mean, at a very basic and obvious level, it's just really good to to be standing alongside somebody who's very experienced. Uh, I mean, I, I can still remember one time uh, standing at the bench. We had something that was broken. Uh, we were trying to take it apart. We couldn't get it apart. And um, my my boss, who's been an engineer for for years, came along with a hammer and absolutely leathered it, and it came apart. And it was just his experience that knew that he could he could hit it as hard as he possibly could, and that was what was needed. So uh, that kind of experience was was really important. But the other thing that that it taught me was, I think I think coming through school, uh, you I developed the mindset whereby I thought you know, I, I had to be taught how to do everything specifically. You know, so if you're if you're learning French in school, you learn how to do French. If you're doing English, you learn how to do English. And you thought, okay, I can't do anything until I'm taught how to do that thing. But what my engineering apprenticeship taught me was that actually, um, rather than being taught specifically how to fix this machine or that machine, you were actually taught a set of principles and you then had to apply those principles to to various situations. To give you an example, one of the things I've never forgot was <clears throat> I remember standing, this was only maybe about three or four weeks after I'd started as an engineer. Um, I was standing alongside my colleague, Robbie, uh, and he was fixing a clutch off a fishing boat. And I thought to myself, I was watching and I was thinking, oh, he must have done a course on on these clutches to know what to do. So I said to him, oh, so did you do a course or something on how to fix these clutches? And he looked at me and he said, I've never seen one of these before in my life. He says, I'm just trying to figure out how, I'm just taking it apart, figuring out how it works, figuring out what's wrong, and I'll I'll fix it and put it back together. And that was a real light bulb moment for me to realise, oh, hang on, he's just got a set of tools um, in his, a set of tools, set of principles in his mind that he applies to the different situations that he faces. And that, I think, is very transferable to ministry, um, that, you know, we're not going to be able to talk, this is what you do in this situation, this is what you do in that situation. Instead, we're given a key set of principles and biblical principles that we have to be able to apply ourselves in the real life um, variety of contexts that ministry will bring. 
Sure. The Bible speaks, you know, the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. And I guess if we are in a church, we're listening to a preacher, we want to be sure that what that person says is is accurate and that we're, we're in safe hands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the person in the church therefore should want, you know, just as I would want my wife or my children to go to the best surgeon, So well, we know that in the UK, probably all surgeons have reached a certain standard. Yeah, ministries is is exactly the the same. Um, Some folk would say, well, you look at some of the the big figures, like the classic examples, Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones, Mm -hmm. never went to seminary. Um, Some folk would say ministries caught not taught. What's your response to that? So I think that's a that's a really interesting, you know, concept caught not taught and and with all these things there's 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 kind of truth and danger because, you know, I'm a wee bit hesitant about that that phrase caught not taught, um, because you know bad habits uh, are also caught and not taught. Um, and I think that's that's very often the case. Nobody, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm training somebody, I'm not going to sit down with them one morning and say, you know, here's all the bad habits I do. I want you to learn them. Um, He'll just see them by watching me and and seeing the things that I do uh, that that set a bad example. So, um, I think it's really important that we don't, um, uh, you know, overemphasize the fact that that uh, um, that teaching is so fundamental to ministry. And I mean, Martin Lloyd Jones is is exceptional. But um, I remember I actually studied Lloyd Jones for uh, when I was doing my my um, undergrad degree, and. You know, one of the things that was emphasised was, yeah, he didn't go to seminary, but he was extremely well educated and he was a lifelong student. And I think that that's, you know, the question is not, you know, did or did he go to seminary or not? The question was, was he a student of the word of God or not? And you know, he was one of the one of the most committed students that we we've had. And so I think it's really important to say that, yes, there is a sense in which ministry is caught. Um, you know, you do see, uh, you know, you will learn a lot from from watching someone else's example. But I think it's also crucial to recognise that, you know, theology is really taught, not caught. Theology is taught and you, you have to learn it and you have to be taught it. And in many ways, you know, when we talk about caught or taught, we want to recognise that it's not an either or, it's really a both and. And, you know, there's there's great examples of that in in, uh, in scripture. If you look at Paul, you know, at times he will say, imitate me. You know, he will say, you know, do what I say. I do what I do. What I did. Follow my example. And so he's saying, you know, catch, catch what I'm doing. You know, just, just follow me. But at other times he'll say, listen to me, obey what we're saying. This is my commandment. You know. So sometimes he is, he's saying, look, listen. Sometimes he's saying, follow. And so you know, caught, taught. The two actually go hand in hand. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Often when people speak about folk like Lloyd-Jones, we must recognise they were exceptional. Another example mm-hmm. would be in our own circles, Donald McLeod. I mean, Donald uh, has got an ordinary MA from Glasgow, you know, a three-year basic ordinary yeah. degree. And yet he was one of the greatest theologians Scotland's ever Absolutely. produced. Yeah. But he was a reader, a voracious reader. Even you and I have met you know, older men and women in, in highlands and islands with basic education, and yet they're erudite. And what's the common theme? They are well-read. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, uh, well, nothing to be reading. Even... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Sorry, Donald McLeod's a great example. You know, he, he would say to us, every morning, study, but not for your sermons, just study general 
general topics, study, study, study every morning, and then in the afternoons do your sermon prep, which I don't quite know how he did that, but you know, but he did he did do that. He 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 spent so much time just studying. And so yeah, like Lloyd Jones, a lifelong student, and many others, like you say, many other people well read and who've studied like that. Yeah, and I mean, I would like to see that in in my, if, you know, minister. I do see it in in my own minister now that I'm a a, a, a pew forder these days. You know, I like the fact that Neil McMillan uh, obviously reads. I, I see that in his sermons, this the concepts, the language, the ideas is always new, is always fresh. Um, you you and I were both trained largely in in the old system. Um, wasn't it all bad? What were the pros and, and cons? Kind of assess the two systems for us, will you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's really important to remember that there was a lot about the old system that was very, very, very good. Um, and I look back at my own three years studying at ETS between 2011 and 2014 as one of the biggest privileges of my life. It was just, it was just an absolutely amazing experience. And I think you know, there's several things that were really positive about that. One was the fact that it was just so focused, that that you were focused on studying God's word. And um, and I, I compared that to my life as an engineer beforehand, where I was just pulled in a thousand directions all the time, you know, where you're just, you're busy, 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 busy. And you've barely got enough time to brush your teeth in the morning, let alone sit down and, and study the Bible. You know, and you then go, and you go to ETS, and you're spending three years where your full-time job is to study God's Word. I mean, that that was awesome. That was just awesome. So that focus um, was really helpful. I think it also had the advantage that you had a greater, a, a clearer sense of cohort amongst your fellow, fellow students. So when everybody is on that three-year program, you've got your first years, your second years, your third years, and, and that, that cohort forms a really solid group. So you mentioned Andy Longway, who I do the podcast with, that's where I met Andy. He was in my year. And and the friendships formed with with Andy, with Murdo Campbell, Sean Ankers, Tom Muir, uh, the guys that we were we were with, you know, as um, as friends. And then the year above us, we had Lachy, McDonald, Dan Patterson, guys coming behind us. And that that meant that we just built a really strong set of friendships that have lasted into ministry and that I have really valued. And the new system doesn't quite have that to the same extent because people are on different training pathways um, and it's it's not so not so easy. So those were definitely some of the pros of the old system. I think that the the difficulties that that people have rightly recognised um, was that I think first of all it was possible to go through that old system and to reach the end of it with some of the key basics for ministry missing. Um, so for example, you know, one of the one of the big, big parts of ministry is being able to uh to lead um lead a congregation, to lead um what effectively are committees, whether it's your Kirk session or your deacon's court. And you know, you, you could have gone through the old system and your first experience of anything like that um is a uh, is, is when you're actually in charge. And that that's a wee bit imbalanced. And um, in fact, it was very imbalanced. And I think that that was um, that was an issue that realized that that had to be recognized. Um, you had to to ensure that people had um, an earlier opportunity to experience those things so that that there is actually the opportunity for somebody to chair a meeting uh, with a, a, a senior colleague beside them to say, look, you did that well. But this time, this needs to improve. Otherwise, people are just, they're just feeling their own way through it. 
uh, and 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 that can result in in in, in skills not being learned and in bad habits becoming ingrained. I think the other thing um, that that was a weakness, and this is not so much of the system, the old system, but it was more just just a, if you like, maybe more a loophole that could be could be exploited, and I think was um, maybe a trap that was fallen into by some, was that when you are studying full time in a seminary for three years, it's actually possible to become quite detached from your local church. And that was something that I, I, I saw from time to time. Uh, people who almost thought because seminary is churchy and because it's about God and theology, that's kind of now become my church. And and their actual involvement in the local church uh, was was minimal. And, uh, and that, I think... Um, you know, that's not the fault of the system, that's the fault of our own hearts, but it was a, a, a trap that I think people could fall into um, that was that was unhelpful, that people didn't didn't serve and plug into their local church in a way that we would actually go on to expect people to as ministers. And so you had this kind of slightly um, uh, strange uh, kind of chrono- chronological hypocrisy, whereas, uh, uh, where, whereby uh, as students, you're 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 barely plugged into church, and then you become a minister, and you're telling everyone you need to become plugged into my church, which is is again imbalanced. So the the door was open to do that. Some people did it, and I think that was um was unhelpful. The new system makes that impossible. Um, you have to be plugged into your local church. You have to be serving, and I think that that's that's an important and unhelpful step. Yeah, I mean that was part of my experience. The summer of nineteen eighty-two, I went up to a place called Waternish in Skye, where the, the senior minister was Murdo McLeod. And uh, what I really learned a lot in that six weeks—just what Murdo's people relational skills were, were off the chart—he was just phenomenal. And just watching him in action uh, is something that that stuck with me. So uh, you know, I wish I could have got more of that when I was in Baclue listening to Alice Ross, speaking to Alice Ross, his big thing was sermon construction and and brevity. Uh, I, I remember going to Ardisier with Finlay Mackenzie, who, who was minister in Croydon Ardisier, again for a week, learning a lot about mission and evangelism. And these, these things were life-changing for me. I, I remember these conversations to this day. And and to be in the company of, of older people and just talking about that, um, <clears throat> certainly I I could have done with a lot more. And and like you, I I went to Smith in 1980, September 18, 1984, chairing a session of very smart people, and yet I'd never even been in a Kirk session in my entire life. Uh, and but fortunately, again, there's an older gentleman, Reverend W R Mackay, was there, and he kind of mentored me, and that was really really helpful. Um, folk, folk these days are saying that church is getting so so corporate and, and organised and this is another example it's you know the Americanization of a church a corporate world coming into the church uh, these things are not of the spirit what, what would you say to these hidden hecklers yeah I think I think that's you know that that's always an easy uh easy charge to make and and you know, we often hear it in, in in lots of ways whether it's you know with with efforts towards training or whether it's to efforts towards evangelism i think there's a few things that we need to to remember um 
One is that, you know, you come back to Scripture, you come back to the New Testament, it's just full of imperatives that are actually related to training. So you think of the amount of times you, you know, the New Testament will tell us to think and to learn and to strive and to practice. They're all training words, you know, and that's that's true not just for ministry, it's true for the life of discipleship. All of those things, you know, involve effort, you know, and, you know, so when, when Paul says, you know, to strive, um, you know, if we reply, well, I'm just going to wait till the Spirit moves me to strive. I, I don't think that he would accept that, you know, and I think he's he's making it very clear he's expecting effort. The, the, the biblical, you know, warrant for that is is unquestionable. And I think it's important for us to to recognise that, uh, that, that, you know, we're actually honouring the Spirit by by pouring out energies into that sort of thing. And again, you know, what's what's true for training for ministry is actually true for, for training for the life of discipleship. You come to Ephesians 4 and there's that great emphasis, that, if you like, job description for ministry, that, that our job is to equip the saints for works of ministry, for works of service, uh, is is recognising that, that a key part of, you know, Christ's gift to the church in providing pastor teachers is so that they will be training, equipping, helping, you know, the whole congregation under their care to be able to serve. So I think it's, it's you know, the, to, to kind of uh, suggest that that, that training uh, is, is, is in some ways going against the spirit, quenching the spirit, there's no biblical basis for that at all. I do think, however, it's important to say that, you know, we, we can, um, we can fall into a trap of, um, uh, of being, I don't like to use the word too, too corporate because it all depends what you mean by the word corporate, but we can fall into the trap in terms of our, maybe our organisation, whereby we, uh, we do, um, we do sometimes find ourselves, I, I think I see this in myself, sometimes we just rely too much on, on ourselves and we maybe do just leave leave God slightly at the door of these meetings, you know. So if we're thinking about evangelism, we're thinking, you know, let's pray, pray, pray. How can God help us? How can we, um, you know, uh, reach out with God's help? We think of discipleship. We need God's help in all of that. But then we think, okay, how do we organize uh, a plan, a schedule for seminars over the coming year? And we think, okay, right, I just need to do that. And we we leave God at the door of that meeting. And I think that's important that we don't do that because actually God cares about every detail and every aspect. And we do want to make sure that that we saturate the most practical parts of it in prayer just as much as we do the most spectacular um, efforts in terms of mission and evangelism that we seek to do as a church. Okay, that's a great segue on to the next kind of topic. John, John Piper famously wrote a book called Brothers. We are not professionals. Um, I, you know, as, as you know, I do a church development track, and one of the seminars that I teach on that is professionalism mm-hmm. in ministry. Um, maybe can, can you unpack that sort of critique? Uh, Brothers, we are not professionals. You know, I'm I'm saying, was he right? Now, your response is going to be yes and no. Uh, you know, I just know it <laughs> yeah. is. So, yeah, <laughs> can, confirm my bias here. Yeah, I mean, it is it is going to be yes and no. Um, I mean, maybe I'll be a little bit controversial. Um, uh, I I can't comment on on you know the context in America that maybe maybe prompted John Piper to say that. I don't know enough about it really. Um, if I imagine you know 
when I imagine the idea of trying to pull together a really impressive CV for ministry and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I, that kind of makes me sick. And I, 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 I like the fact that he was maybe trying to talk into that and, and push back against that. I remember once listening to a talk at a conference and the guy was introduced, you know, and, and it reminded me of, of watching WrestleMania as a child, you know, when you would get somebody introduced with this, that, and the next thing. And, and I kind of thought, oh, this is, I, I don't like this. And um, so if he's pushing back against that, then I, I, I like that idea. I think it's helpful. I would say in the free church setting, in the Scottish setting, um, in our context, the phrase brothers, we are not professional is very unhelpful. And that that's not to criticize John Piper because I know exactly what he was trying to do. And I, and I, I back him in that. In our setting, though, um, that phrase is unhelpful. And I would the reason I say that is, is, is because of what you've touched on. Um, again, don't want to sound too controversial, but I do think that we have a massive. Oh come problem. on, that, that that's what gets her. That's what gets her <laughs> well, listener hits up. I I do think that we have a massive problem with unprofessionalism. I do think that, and and I start with my own heart, and I see things in in my own heart that that are are um, and and feelings in my own life, but I I also see it in 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 the settings that I I work in, and again we come back to comparing. With other professions, you know, if I mean, I, I know people who who work as as lawyers, as doctors, as teachers. If something falls onto their desk, it gets dealt with. If something comes into their email inbox, it gets answered. And you know, if if, if I was you know, um, you know, if I was sending somebody, if I was sending my child into the hospital uh, to get um, to get treatment, uh, and they came back three days later and I said, how did it go? And they said, oh, they didn't get it. The surgeon said, I didn't read the email. I would be, well, I mean, for a start, that would never happen. It would just never happen. Whereas, you know, in, in our settings, it's very, very common for emails not to get read. Very often common for meetings. People don't turn up to them. It's very, very common for the church centrally to uh, to try to implement something and, and inform something. People either don't even bother reading the memo or don't uh, don't take it on board. And I know that I am drifting into a little bit of a rant here, um, but you know we we in the church, I think, and I think this applies generally, not just in the free church, but in terms in, in generally. If if somebody came from America and got off a plane in Edinburgh Airport and went to a taxi driver and said, "I want you to take me to the most professionally run organisation in this city." I don't believe for one second the taxi driver would ever take them to a church. Mm-hmm. And that's not good enough. That's not good enough for Jesus. And, yeah, because, and, I mean, our, our big thing is, isn't is a healthy gospel church. So, you know, what does professionalism mean? That You know, I expect my minister to have his sermons prepared. He, they've got a beginning, a middle and an end, a structure. He's done that. He turns up in time. He conducts yeah. a funeral. He gets the name of the person right. He deals with the people, with decorum. Uh, if I tell my minister a, a confidence, he will keep that confidence. You know, these are just basic elements yeah. of of professionalism uh, uh you know someone once said a professional is someone that never makes mistakes well that that's not true yeah. but we should certainly endeavor to do the very best we can because as you say it's all about the glory of god it's all about jesus and he deserves our absolute yeah. 
Um, and I think that the other thing is that's so important to remember is that that unprofessionalism actually hurts people. It ends up hurting people, you know, and I think that's especially true in in pastoral situations, in complex situations of, of church discipline, but also even just in terms of, you know, people trying to organize their lives so that they can serve in a church, whether that's, you know, serving on a rota, uh, organizing childcare so that the mum or dad can be at church uh for this meeting on this particular night, if things aren't organised, if things aren't uh, communicated, and if there isn't uh, that that appropriate professionalism, we actually end up hurting people. Um, and so it's it's so important that we we remember that. And I would love to see uh, a, a culture um, of godly professionalism uh, developing more and more and more in in our church. Mm. Um, Again, you know, all all this stuff does come out of training that, that we talk mm-hmm. about these things that we try and get our, our people because the vol you know in, in the free church has gone i'm sure this is true of the church that other uh, other of our listeners involved in the volunteers are amazing you know i find that most volunteers almost treat service in the church as if they were being paid they turn up in time they are mm-hmm. sacrificial uh it really you know I, I i'm just amazed at our volunteers and i take my hat off to them we, yeah. we owe it to them um, and, and we are to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, okay, training. Um, I'm going to ask one of those, is there a danger question? So I hope it's not, not too negative, but is there a danger in producing clones of people, of systems, especially in, in preaching? I mean, some training is very uniform. You know, you mm-hmm. could go to McDonald's, restaurants, anywhere in the world, and it's exactly the same. Uh, it's just a way we do things. Yeah. Is, is there a danger that in training that that's just, look, this is the way we do things here and individuality is cut out? I think that is definitely a danger. And I think it can it can come through various channels. Um, so there is a danger in, in, in training uh, whereby, you know, you can... You can uh, give people very narrow parameters in terms of how something should be done. So preaching is a good example. You, you can you can show people how to prepare a sermon, how to um, uh, how to approach a passage, and you, you can keep the boundaries quite tight in terms of of how that is to be done. And that can be that can be helpful, but it can also be unhelpful. And it, it can result in, you know, very, very similar um, uh, styles emerging. I think you know, the, the danger doesn't just come in terms of what you're taught. The danger of, of clones comes really in lots of ways. You know, you, you actually, you've mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones a couple of times. You know, th- there's there's the danger of, of cloning your favourite preacher, you know, whether it's Lloyd-Jones or Eric Alexander or Tim Keller. You know, e- even if somebody's not specifically teaching us, the, the, the person that we listen to, we can we can find ourselves adopting their, their tone, their style, their gestures. So that, that danger is there all the time. And I think it's um, I think it's important that we um, are careful not to do that too much. I, I had a chat um, a few months ago with a friend of mine, Dan Peters. Uh, he teaches um, practical theology uh, in, uh, uh, in the north of England at, at uh, Westminster Presbyterian, and he was talking about about teaching preaching, and he was saying one of the things I emphasise to my students is the idiosyncrasies of preachers and the importance of that. You know how we have to be ourselves, and there's and and all these differences um, uh, are are to be 
you know, to be recognised and used and enjoyed. I think one of the things I would say um, in terms of, of training in regard to preaching is that we need to draw a distinction between rules and tools. So a distinction between rules and tools. And I think that what happens is quite often is that people can be given rules for preaching. And so, you know, you must make sure you you approach a passage in this kind of way. You must make sure that you focus on on this aspect of what the passage is saying. You must make sure that you structure your sermon in this way, etc., etc. And these are rules. And, and those rules, um, I think, whilst helpful in terms of teaching someone how to approach a passage, they can actually become quite restrictive. And um, again, without sounding too com- controversial, I would say uh, that... You'll have noticed, David, that when I say without sounding controversial, I actually am about to be controversial. I would say that that don't that, don't hold back. Just go for it. I would say that that rules rules will make you a good preacher, but they'll actually stop you from becoming an excellent preacher. Because if you look at the excellent preachers, they they know the rules, but they also know when to break them. And they know when to push boundaries. And so that's why I think it's far better to think not so much of rules, but of tools. And so these things that we get taught, how to approach a passage, how to structure a sermon, they're tools. Tools that you can use, tools that the craftsman can pick up and put down as they need them. But you then use those tools to do something creative yourself. And I think that's where it's so important to remember that. You can you can read a book on preaching and read a whole pile of, of rules. And then you can go and listen to somebody like Douglas Macmillan or Tim Keller or Alec Alexander. And you will see that they are breaking those rules constantly. And that's not because they disregard the rules. They also use them, but they know when to break them and they know when to push beyond the boundaries. And they're not confined to a particular narrow pathway of doing something. And I think you see the same in Scripture. And I think that's that's one of the things that's so important to recognise. Jesus himself had a very uh, varied, fascinating um, uh, way of approaching how to present and handle Scripture. Uh, he he was not uh, confined by a set of rules. He actually had a set of tools that he knew when to pick up and when to put down. And I would say the skill in becoming a great preacher is knowing how to use those tools uh, properly. Is it, isn't it interesting that the examples we've given there are all from a previous generation? Um, and maybe that's where I'm going to be a, a wee bit controversial you know there is a blandness in much of preaching today it all comes from a particular stable and it can all be exactly the same uh, i think to me the difference between a good preacher and an excellent preacher is you know an excellent preacher will take scriptures like a diamond and they'll just turn it so as you just mm-hmm. see oh never thought of that never yeah. saw that it's obvious yes. i see it now and even you know in terms of of speaking uh, illust- you know, state illustrate apply. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not rocket science. Yeah. But I just wish that our training model that we've been speaking about would give folk not just competence but confidence uh, mm. to to take these rules and, and apply them in different things. Um, and, and just, I'm looking for exciting preaching, not in a a crass worldly way. I I hope. Mm-hmm. But in, in a sense, that we're explaining the greatest drama, the greatest story ever told. Yeah. Um, I think that can be taught as well as caught. 
I think it can. And and I think in, in many ways, I would say that probably the if you think about confidence, confidence is not so much something that's taught as something that's nurtured. And I think that's a crucial thing to remember in training that actually, you know, you're you're we're trying to take somebody and we want we want to build their confidence. And there's various ways to do that. One is to give them more skills. So you're helping to show them, you know, how to approach a passage, how to communicate with people effectively. Um, uh, but at the same time, alongside teaching those skills, there has to be that 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 nurturing of somebody, encouraging them, helping them, showing them what they've done well um, and boosting their confidence in that way. Because then, you know, that that confidence is is what's needed uh, to be able to take the tools uh, and use them. You're going back to the illustration I gave at the very start where my brother-in-law was fixing a clutch of a fishing boat that he'd never seen before. The reason he could do that was because he was confident. And the reason he was confident was because he had skills and experience and he'd had the opportunity to learn. He'd had the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes and to learn from them. And I think it's very impo- important that we approach <coughs> preaching uh, in the same way. We want <coughs> excuse me, we want people to... Uh, to have skills and to have knowledge that keeps them from from mishandling God's word, but at the same time we want them to have a confidence and and maybe even a daringness that actually presents the word for what it is, which is the most unique and most important and most incredible thing that anybody is going to hear in their lives that week. Amen. Amen. Okay. So again, I've mentioned this. You know. Free church thing of a healthy gospel church uh, culture. How how does training uh, contribute to this to this health element? Yeah, I think I think training is 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 crucial because when we talk about a healthy uh, church, the key thing we're talking about there is culture. That that the actual the attitudes of people, the relationships that they have. The mindset of the congregation uh, is 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 crucial for um, for determining whether or not that church is going to be healthy, and training has a crucial role to play in that for a couple of reasons. I think I think first of all, training has a crucial role of of recognize of of um, making sure that guys going into the ministry just recognize the importance of that. They recognize the importance of 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 the culture of their church. Uh, of how they relate to people, how they react to situations. Um, so it's key that training uh, highlights to them the importance of that. But then I think training can go even further because it can actually then give the tools to help develop uh, a healthy uh, a healthy culture. And, you know, one of the ways in which um, a culture can be unhealthy is 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 the tone that that a minister sets. You know, we can set a tone a working environment that 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 breeds um, uh, an unhealthy culture, and likewise, we can we can uh, we can set a tone that really helps to cultivate uh, a healthy environment. And that's just what's that's one of the crucial things to remember. You know, there, the one thing that's you know, there's so many things in ministry that are out of your hands. But one thing that, with God's help, you can control is your own behaviour. And the way you speak at a meeting, the way you react to a difficult situation, the way you respond when somebody makes a mistake, um, the way you treat uh, the person who's, who maybe seems excluded, the way you deal with cliques that you'll come across in your congregation, all of that makes a massive difference to what 
to the health of your church. If you behave in a way that that just feeds all these things, then you're just contributing to 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 a continuation of, of poor health. But if you're behaving in a way that that will help to um uh, to improve these things, then you're going to be able to contribute to your health, the health of a church in a positive way. And training is crucial for just opening people's eyes to see uh, to see all of these things. You know, you could have the most um, you could have the most uh, elaborate plan for evangelism and discipleship through courses and outreach and leaflets and all sorts of stuff, um, and you can blow it all um, by, you know, uh, falling out with somebody about where they've parked their car at the local shop, and so that's I think that's such an important thing for us to to remember. Yeah. Okay. So mo- most of our listeners are, are not ministers uh, or office bearers in the church. They're just ordinary church members, some in independent churches, Presbyterian, Anglican, the whole shebang. How how can we or how can they help engage in, in this training process so as to make the whole thing something that we're, we're all in, involved in? I think that's, you know, I love that question because... I think it's challenging uh, a mindset that we can easily fall into. The idea that that training is something that kind of happens almost behind closed doors. That it's something that ministers do with prospective ministers, and and everybody is is um is kind of kept in the dark. And I think that's that's unhelpful and and unwise because you know the local church has got a crucial role uh, to play to play in that. And I think there's there's several ways that, in which it can be done. The first thing I think I would want to say to to somebody in a local church thinking about training is is to is to say to you that you're part of this. You know, you, you're part of this. You and and I want want you to have a sense of ownership um, in regard to that. You know, so that if 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 you have somebody in your congregation who's who's serving as a minister in training. You know, you are part of that, and you can contribute to it, and you're involved in it. And I think that that's a really, really positive step for the new training model, and that can happen in so many different ways. Um, I think it's, it's. I think I would want people in a congregation to actually feel more confident about, um, about talking uh, about training with the person who's who's there. So, being ready to say, you know, I'd love to sit and talk to you about 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 preaching. I'd love to tell you what I like. I'd love to tell you, you know, what I think you could maybe do differently. I'd love to talk to you uh, about, you know, how we, how we as a congregation can lead well. I'd love to give you an insight into some of my skills. So if, 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 you know, I think of my congregation here, I've got teachers, I've got lawyers, I've got, I've got weavers, I've got parents, I've got people who are retired and I've got accountants. And I would love for all of them to say to, to, to someone training, you know, Budgeting is going to be a massively important part of your life in church going forward. Here's some of the key skills I've learned over the years. Let me share them with you. I mean, that that is so valuable and so helpful for somebody training for ministry. I remember when I um, went to Edinburgh, I served in Edinburgh for three years at a, as assistant minister at uh, St. Columbus Free Church, which was fantastic experience for me. But one of the things that I was responsible for was to help establish St. Columbus as a training church. And very quickly, we uh, we got a staff team, uh, people who had start come to us to to train, um, and uh, my role was to be their line manager, and I'd never been a line manager before, 
So the first thing I did was that I went to people in the congregation who had spent their lives as line managers. And I said, how did you do your job? And the insights I got from them was so, so helpful. Um, and I think it's just one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in ministry is to think that because we're ministers, we're good at everything. And I think that that's, that's a massive mistake that we make, that we think, oh, I know how to preach, therefore I can be a line manager. That's a non sequitur if ever there was one. You know, and you have to make sure that you 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 learn from people who who know what they're doing, who've got experience. And so for 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 listeners who are in the local church, you have got a whole pile of skills that your minister and their trainee is not going to have. Share them. Give them give them the skills and knowledge that they uh, that they uh, that you have that they're going to benefit from. Yeah, that, that's a good. I mean, whenever I meet folk in, in church and stuff, I'm always asking questions about what they do. I think they think I'm really nosy, but I'm I'm trying to squeeze every bit of thing. You know, I meet a joiner, and I was talking the other day to a police advanced driver, and I want to know, I want to know it all. Uh, you know, I, I really, I really do. Um, a guy that runs a business, I find business really, really interesting. Uh, Thomas, thank you for for talking to us. I, I hope the listeners get a little bit inspired about this whole training idea and to know that we're part of it. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a whole church to make a minister. We're all in this together, giving good, honest, gracious, loving feedback. Um, if you want to know more about this, talk to Thomas about training, especially if you're interested in free church and ministry, uh, even if you want a training culture in, in your economy, talk to me. That's one of the things I do, you know, as I go around helping churches to be outgoing and more mission-minded. Um, Thomas, thank you so much for being with us today. Again, our sister podcast, our complimentary podcast, Jesus Today, run by Thomas Davis. And Andy Longway, please uh, have a listen to that. I think you find our podcast and their podcast complement each other really, really well. Join us again next week for another exciting episode with another interesting guest. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.